We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Saturday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only Jeff Goodman from Stadium, as well as Terrence Oglesby, my partner in crime over on the DTF podcast. We are here watching the end of the Duke Miami game. That was Charlie Moore right there with the <laughs> with an and one. I don't know if you could tell by uh, TO's uh, excited fist pump right there. We are presenting. Probably, I was probably a little. Too, I was probably a little too happy about that. I was probably yeah, a little too happy. I mean, especially when uh, two thirds. No, were, were were Charlie Moore. He had no idea where that. He had no idea. He had no, no. He had no idea where that ball was going. Anyway, let me, oh. can I get to my intro, please? Can I? No, oh no. no! Oh no! All right, hold on. We'll get back to the intro in a second. Forget your damn intro. There's 25 seconds left. Miami driving. Oh, they. Here we go. Who do you, all right, so who, who do you go to here? If you're Duke, who I'm do you eight go seconds to? behind. This is awful. Who who do you go to here? If you're Duke, uh, you can go to right any there. which one of them. Oh come on! Not Trevor Keels. Not Trevor Keels. Foul. What was that? What was that? Duke had you know no timeouts left. What was that? You know what that was? That was a young team being rattled, rattled, and wow, they didn't, they didn't have a timeout left. They didn't have right? a timeout left. Wow. Wow. Trevor Keels. I don't think he knew how much time was left. I think he honestly, just being a freshman, kind of made a mistake there. Instead of trying to move the ball and get an easy shot, which you can do against that Miami defense. Let's face mm-hmm. it. I mean, Miami hasn't guarded all year, and then they go into Cameron Indoor, and they, they've played well. We talked about it off air. Miami's got four six-year seniors. Like, if there's a team and a, or, or a bunch of guys that could go into Cameron and not get rattled. Here we go. I mean, it would be this Miami team. Not what you want. Oh, Wendell yeah. Moore. Oh. Not the shot you wanted, though. Point seven seconds left. They still got a chance. Uh, you had a chance, so you're down two. Drive it. Are we going to get a Coach K call here? The end? What do you think? Oh, they're reviewing the time. There you go. They're reviewing it to get a timeout. So, what do you draw oh, up wow. here, T.O.? Well, like eight hey, I love this review. Like it's completely, like it's completely necessary. No, they're reviewing the time. Let's just they're go gonna, ahead and give gonna, K an extra, get a, an extra tenth of a second. And it's going to allow Coach K to drop a play. It's not going to matter because Duke doesn't have enough shooters to be able to get this thing done. But let's. No, well, so let's go from win, point. Win, but if you're down two, but if you're down two, remember you can throw it at the rim. No, guys, aren't, it's not going to be point seven at the end of this. 
review. Let's be honest. There might be there might be six seconds by the time they're done with this review. <laughs> exactly. Whatever it is, add on a couple. It'll be it'll be point nine. It'll be point nine. So let me let me ask you this, Coach Tio. You have the coach in your handle. If you're if you're drawing up this play right now, what do you what are you running? I mean, I'm getting something. I'm I'm getting Mark Williams in the game, and I'm getting Paolo in the game, and I'm throwing it towards the rim because I, Miami's big. But they're not in the same position. They're, they're not that kind of athlete that Duke has. I think that's your best bet. And there is no offensive goaltending in college either often side out of bounds, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, we so that's a significant play. You got to try to get Paulo loose here. To me, you got to try to. it, right? I mean, he's the guy that you can get it up to and let him go. Mark Williams isn't quite – I mean, he, he's he's a good athlete for his size, but Paulo can go up and get it. That's what – to me, you got to try to – try to screen his guy here and get him loose let's right. see if they can do it let's and, see what they let's see what they draw up here and i'm curious if they sub in ding gack to to guard the ball or they put wardenberg on the ball I, I'm, I'm a little bit behind you guys so they got yeah. wardenberg on the ball they got dang gack in front of the rim heels yeah. has got a great look he didn't get oh, a great he missed look. it he great got a great look. look he got a great look and he missed it so miami goes into cameron and knocks off Duke. This is something that we've seen happen uh, quite a bit before. I remember specifically the year that Duke won the 2015 title that Miami went in there with. Remember, it was uh, Angel Rodriguez and a couple of those other guys went in there and they knocked off Duke in Cameron. I believe that final score was 86 to 84. Uh, I, I want to start, though, with, with the Miami side of things here, T.O., because you've been on this Miami bandwagon. They're now sitting here at 5-0. and um, They've won. What is it now? One, two, three, four, five. Six. This is their eighth straight win. They're all alone in first place in the ACC. What do you make of this group? Well, I, you look at it, they're kind of a perfect counter to Duke because, one, they can score individually. Duke likes to get up and take away a lot of passing lanes. So what does Miami do? They get it to Isaiah Wong and Cam Augustine and let them go to work and figure it out. And whenever you have isolation scores, you can do that. Duke, this was a young team against an old team. And when it came down to the end of the game, Trevor Keels gets into the lane and obviously – you have eight seconds left. You can still pitch it out. But a good defensive effort. This is a Miami team, guys, that hasn't guarded. And the fact that they're able to show up, go into Cameron Indoor, and Charlie Moore, guys, what did he end up with? Seven steals, five of which were in the first half, completely took over the game in the first half. Like you said, it, it was – honestly, it was experience against youth. And you kept thinking Duke was going to pull away the home court advantage. We know they get home cooking there. But ultimately, this is still a young Duke team that's trying to figure out their roles because they've added in A.J. Griffin recently. So Trevor Keels is a guy that has not been great, really up and down, mostly down since that first game, right? He was so good in the Champions Classic. People anointed him as like a high lottery pick. He, He did. He looked great. But he hasn't really made shots since. Now you're adding in Griffin, who's probably other than Paolo, their most talented player. Now you're trying to figure out all the dynamics. But ultimately, it came down to Miami. All these old dudes, they're not scared. And what do they have to lose? Nothing. They go in with absolutely nothing to lose. Nobody thinks they're going to – they've done nothing in the non-conference. Nothing. Now they're 5-0 and in conference, and they're leading the ACC in conference. I mean, it, it's like you said, it's a bunch of old guys. Cam Augusta has dealt with injuries for the past two or three years that he's been there. They didn't have Wardenburg last year, who they run a lot of offense through whenever they do move the ball. But tonight, because Duke plays defense the way they play defense, 
they just throw it out and go with a lot of individual isolation plays. And Isaiah Wong and Kim Agussie, they're good enough to make things happy, happen. And Moore, who's been up and down, you guys have said it. He's, he, he's been an okay player throughout his college career. He showed out tonight, and he has like these veteran steals and defensive possessions, these veer switches in the post where a lot of college kids don't really switch off on those things, where he'll go and steal those bounce passes. I mean, a lot of veteran moves. An old team, you said it, Jeff, an old team that just kind of found a way. With an old coach, with an old coach. Not as old as, well, I, get, I don't even know. What's the age, Larinaga and Kay, who's older? I think Larinaga is older than Kay. He looks older. He, he always, always friendly. Always friendly. So let, me, let me ask you this. I, I've been older. saying for a while that I, I think that Duke is uh, – Somewhere that maybe you can call them the favorite to win the national title. I do think that there's really little argument to saying that they are the most talented team in college basketball. Nobody else has five first round picks on their roster. Duke has five first round picks um, on the roster. But I think we saw some some flaws right here. What is uh, Jeff? What's your biggest concern with the Blue Devils moving forward? Um, still probably taking care of the ball, the point guard play like Wendell Moore has been awesome, but he's not that guy that you just necessarily are going to give him the ball And He's not that like guy who can get in necessarily and make a play and he's smooth. It's not a natural point guard. I guess is what I'm getting at more than anything else. He's played the position very, very well in a, in a spot where he needed to, because to me, Jeremy Roach, is a great backup right now. So I think that's the biggest thing and still figuring it all out, right? Where, where is Paulo at his most dangerous? Now you've added in Griffin. Griffin is super talented. You, you said it before the season, Rob, and I think everybody's seen it now. He's super talented. They're your two most talented players. Keels, to me, taking that last shot, he got a great look. I get it. But as we talked about before the play, I would have thrown a lob, tried to try to free up Paulo or Mark Williams and throwing the ball to the rim. And you might've got an easy one. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get that at the last second to me, the biggest issue though, with this Duke team is on the defensive end. Like that, that is where their, their money is going to be made. Right. Tio, how often have we talked about this on, on our show? That team reminds us of a throwback Duke team in terms of the way they can get out and pressure in terms of the way of the length and the physicality and the, the athleticism that they have. And Miami, I mean, they kind of got whatever they wanted in the second half of that game. And they attacked the offensive glass. I think that's a big thing, too. Whenever whenever Miami, whenever Miami was forcing these switches, what was happening is they were also bringing Mark Williams away from the bucket. And some of Miami's got some big-time athletes that crash from the wings. And you saw it on the free-throw blockout towards the end of the game. Miami's able to corral. They end up with a game-winning shot or a layup because Duke doesn't take care of the offensive glass. A team that can spread you out and score in isolation situations that doesn't need to pass the ball to initiate offense, they can give Duke some problems because it's, they're a little bit like Florida State of the last two years, and that they guard, they make you uncomfortable, they, they, they keep away moving the ball around the perimeter. But mm -hmm. if you can go on your own, you can find some ways to score. So I think, yeah, defense. Yeah, so this is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined by Terrence Oglesby and Jeff Goodman. Duke was not the only blue blood that went down today, Jeff. Uh, Kansas headed to uh, Lubbock to take on your Red Raiders. I'm, I'm calling them your Red Raiders. I know how much that fan base uh, adores you these days. Uh, what, what was your biggest takeaway from Kansas going into Lubbock and taking a loss to a team that did not have two of, I think you could probably say two of their three best players? Well, Kansas didn't have uh, a couple players either because David McCormick didn't show up. 
and Remy Martin didn't really show up either, but he's at least got an excuse. He's he's hurt. He's, hurt. he's, he's hurt. You can see it. He's not moving well, but um, you know, David McCormick, you have no idea if he's going to show up or not. Right. I mean, you know, he, he was great against St. John's early this year. He's great against Oklahoma state, but he was a complete no show for the most part tonight. And, and then the problem is again, then you got to play Mitch Lightfoot a bunch and Mitch Lightfoot really is a guy that on a, on a really good Kansas team on a national championship, Kansas team, Mitch Lightfoot shouldn't be getting off the bench. And, and now he's playing meaningful minutes. And, you know, to me, again, listen, nobody's writing off Kansas. They, they still have a chance to, to win four straight, maybe six straight, but I, I think four straight is, is far more likely. I, I think what today showed guys is that there aren't dominant, dominant teams like we saw last year, like we've seen in the past. I know we'll talk about Baylor a little bit, but we saw Kansas and Duke lose. Duke lose at home to Miami. Kansas lose to a Texas Tech team without arguably its two best players, Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCullough. So those two teams, we're talking about them being in the top six, and they both lost tonight to teams that they should not have lost to. Are we talking enough about Texas Tech? Are we talking enough about the Red Raiders? Hey, guys, it's not pretty. Those dudes defend, though. Top five defense in the country. And let me let me just say something to the to the people of Lubbock. Let me just say something to the people. Don't let these big city folk tell you that you can't that you can't do you can't go and win the Big Twelve. Don't you don't you let them tell you what to do. I don't care if it's Austin, Boston, Philly, or Jersey. Don't let them tell you you can't win big games without your best players. Those city folk don't understand you. Right. And Lubbock, they could understand you very well. Yeah, I know. I know. I had to reach out to my people. Now, Texas and Tennessee, that's pretty far. They had no idea. When I went to Lubbock two years ago, they had no idea what I was saying. Now, now, they know what I'm saying now um, because they've been hating on me. But listen, I, I think what Rob has really surprised me the most when they hired Mark Adams at 64 years old. And we'll talk to Mark Adams here in a, in a bit. Um, I didn't think it was the right hire. I didn't. I didn't think he was a guy that could take over this program. See, see, here's, here's the problem with that. You want to know why I thought that, that Mark Adams was the right hire? Because why? that's the guy that all of the players backed. Terrence Shannon told them that he was going to leave if, if, uh, if Mark Adams wasn't hired, right? But that's not always that, – but, It but doesn't always work always out. Mean, that might mean that, that he's a player's assistant coach too. Yeah, you, but, but here's the thing. This is the, not only is he the guy that all the players want there, but this is the guy who, was the, the, who came up with that defense that allowed Chris Beard to make the run to the national title game. This is a Mike guy who, Do you know what Listen. Texas Tech is? Texas Tech is the JUCO of the Big 12. Do you think that's fair to say? They're the JUCO of the Big 12. And we talked to Mark about this. He won a JUCO national title. This is a guy that is a JUCO legend in West Texas. Right. So that's Mike why to me it was a fit. Now he's old. He's old. He, he makes you look young, which is saying a lot. Right. But my I, concern but, was recruiting, Rob. My concern was recruiting. And you know what? The transfer portal changes everything. Yes. Absolutely everything. Um, so, you know, he brought in a staff that I just wasn't sure if those guys were going to be able to recruit at the highest level. You know, Barrett Peary had been at, at Portland State as a head coach. You brought in what uh, Corey Williams, I think. Like you know, I just didn't know. But again, when you go to the portal, it, it is very different because kids are making decisions, especially the portal in a pandemic. They're not even visiting. They're not even visiting. So true. I think it really equals a playing field 
And the other thing is he took over a program that had a lot of pop when he took it over. And I felt like if he didn't win right away, Texas Tech could go back to what Texas Tech was five, 10 years ago. Well, Texas Tech right now is 11 and three on the season. They just knocked off Kansas 75 to 67. And the man of the hour, Mark Adams, was kind enough to uh, grace us with us, our, uh, grace us with his presence uh, earlier on tonight. And now let me welcome on to the field of 68 after dark Texas Tech head coach Mark Adams, fresh off of a win over Kansas. Mark, how you feeling, man? It's a pretty big win for you. Oh, I'm so excited for our players. I'm a little bit relieved. You know, anytime play at Kansas, it's uh, uh, there's so many um, things to worry about. They do. They're just a tremendous program. And uh, I've got one of the best coaches in the country. I have so much respect for Bill Self and how he uh, runs his program. They're, the way they get up and down the floor and, and their defense is excellent. So we knew we had our work cut out for us. But I was so excited that we uh, met the challenge and uh, they, they made a run late, late in the game and we were able to hold them off and just really proud of our guys. All right, so I'm, I'm going back in time a little bit here. But in 2010, when you were at Howard, uh, you won the 2010 National Championship, beating Three Rivers Community College uh, and legendary head coach Gene Best. So I got to ask you, Bigger win, knocking off Kansas in your first uh, chance against them as a Big 12 coach or winning that 2010 national title? I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, that's tough one. Well, I know this. I'd love to have Jay Crowder on my team. So, uh, <laughs> but big, one of the big reasons we won. Yeah, that, that was a huge win for us. But um, they're both big wins. That may be, you know, winning the national championship, being the best in the country, I'd say it was probably a bigger win than this. But, uh, you know, on this level and, and being in this program, it's, you know, we expect to win. And so, uh, our, you know, and that was a, what was important to our guys. We talked about winning's a choice and you got to choose to win, you got to choose to play hard. And, and, and I thought going into this game, we made up our mind that we we're going to be in position to win at the end. So I, I wore this just for you, Mark, and your hey, fans. <laughs> you look you know, good we we, we got to get your fans to where they don't they don't hate me so much. And maybe February 1st when I come down, maybe maybe we can maybe you can help uh, uh, rectify the situation and, and, and make some peace between the two. But um, listen, take me back to April 6th. OK, so, you know, Kirby Hokett uh, hires you as a head coach. He elevates you from the assistant spot uh, to the head coach. You're 64 years old and. Did you ever think this was going to happen? Was there a point when you when you get to be 64 and you say to yourself, hey, you know what? Maybe it's just not meant to be as a Division One high major head coach. Yeah, well, you know, it, I, I kept telling Kirby at 64, I had all kinds of experience. See, and that's uh, along with, uh, you know, you, you uh, at that time, Longfinger was, was uh, older than myself and and Huggins, Huggies, uh, he's a little bit older than I am. So I was in good company. So I've been coached a long time, but I think the, uh, what was important is that uh, Kirby knew how much I loved Texas Tech and and uh, that I had a good resume, but equally as uh, significant as our players supported me. And a lot of those guys, that uh, former players that uh, that I'd coached under uh, with Coach Beard came out and and really, you know, voiced their opinion. They wanted me as head coach. And, and then most of the guys on the team want to come back. So all that played into it as well, Jeff. So the, the good thing is, it's not like the next game is kind of a, a, a letdown type game, Mark, right? I mean, you, you got Tuesday, you go to, to Waco and play Baylor. You should have no issues trying to get your guys up for this game. The big question is, how do you respond against the best team in the country? 
Yeah, my complaints with the Big 12, I started out, you know, we didn't play Oklahoma State, then we had to go to Iowa State, that, you know, top 10 team, and then back with Kansas, another uh, highly ranked team, and then go to Baylor, which is uh, maybe as good as the team they had last year. So, uh, yeah, this uh, this conference schedule is not favorable to us early, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do like any coach does or should do. You just try to enjoy it today and then uh, get ready for, for Baylor and try to stay focused. Don't look back in your rear view mirror and, and stay focused on today and try to win the day and get ready for Baylor. So I think the most impressive part about this win for you today, Mark, is you did it without two of your best players, Terrence Shannon and uh, Kevin McCuller, were not available today. What can you tell us about their status, and, and do you know when you can ex- expect them back in the lineup? Yeah, they're, they're day-to-day. I mean, we could see them both back um, against Baylor. It's just uh, there's probably a good chance that Kev will be back for Baylor. Uh, TJ is uh, still a little more uncertain where, where he is on his rehab, but uh, possibly he'll, he'll be back uh, in that game. And you, know, you talk about these two guys, we certainly miss them. We miss their leadership, but at the same time, it also makes a statement that uh, we're a team and and uh, next man up. And, and uh, I was just so proud of those guys stepping up and, and making big plays, not only here, but at Iowa State. So just love our team and love our attitude and our commitment to each other and and, uh, you know, I think we're getting better every game. So excited about the progress we're making. Well, listen, congrats on the win. Uh, do I need to bring a bodyguard or, or something when I come out uh, February 1st? I'm, I'm going to throw a party for you, Jeff. I'm going to come out and, and get reacquainted with Jeff Goodman. So, you uh, know, you're, hey, you're popping around here, and I love you. So, I appreciate all you do for us, the nice things you say about our program. And for nah, your basketball, seriously. Listen, your, fan, your fans are terrific. Uh, congrats. It's been one heck of a story, Mark. Uh, you getting the job at this point in your career with everything you've done and being successful. So again, all the best and I and, uh, hope to see you uh, February 1st. That was Mark Adams. Jeff, let me ask you this. Uh, we saw number one Baylor trail at halftime at yeah. TCU tonight. We saw Duke, of course, lose at home uh, to Miami. We saw Purdue struggle on the road at Wisconsin after I'm sorry, at Penn State after losing at home to Wisconsin uh, earlier on this week. We saw Kansas lose um, at Texas Tech tonight. What does this tell you about uh, about the top of college basketball this season? Listen, more importantly, are you going to come with me on February 1st and protect me in Lubbock? No, I'm not. I don't want to get anywhere near you in the city of Lubbock. Now, I will go and pretend I don't know you. No, you'll probably go and blend in with all the other fans that are hurling. <laughs> that, that, that are hurling That's what I'll fans. do. I'm going to go sit in the student section. Yeah. And say, oh, there's Jeff Goodman. Look at him. Oh, yeah. Boo, boo this man. I'll tell you oh, what. Man. If you need a translator when you go down there, I'll go down there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I might. I might pick up on that video. Um, all right. Well, listen. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, I think the beauty of this year in college basketball is we don't have a dominant, dominant team. We got a really, really good team in Baylor. Yeah. But even judging by their first half today against TCU, they're not overpowering. They're not going to be able to kind of, you know, put their foot on the med- on the pedal and just absolutely blast teams like I think last year's team could, like Gonzaga could do last year. I, again, I think you got good teams, not great teams, and I think that's what's going to be really, really fun for the next really two months leading up to the NCAA tournament is you're going to have a lot and you add in the other factor guys is you're adding in is like today at Duke. Well, Duke still hasn't been back fully for that long. 
So you've got a lot of teams right now that we don't know who's been healthy, who hasn't, how many practices they've had. So I think that plays into it as well. Yeah, and you're looking at a bunch of teams without, I guess, you know, Baylor has guys, but they're not as good offensively. Who's the, te- who's the team that's just going to be able to take off? Purdue? No, they've showed that they can't do it. UCLA, their grit and grind style, it's not really going to let them take off on teams, so they're going to be susceptible. Uh, anybody else in the ACC, I don't really want to talk about it right now. But there's uh, there's several. Hey, show, I, I think show, there's show your guy Armando Baycott some love. Show Armando Baycott I'm some love. To. He had 29 to. to 22 tonight, all right? Hey, I'm your, going to. Give, give your man some love. Hey, I'm going to. I thought that was later in the show. We we're going to give some guys their flowers. I thought that's what we were doing. Oh, okay, we'll get there. That, that, right. That's a tease, by the way. That, that's what we in the industry call a tease. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're welcome, world. No, I, I just don't think there's probably six or seven teams. One, depth has never been more important because of COVID and all that stuff, referring to what Jeff is talking about. And two, it's so matchup-based. Because if you look at today, Kansas has struggled on the inside. Where, where does Texas Tech, where are they really good? They're really good on the boards. Yeah. So, like – Sometimes your strengths can beat other teams' weaknesses just enough, and everything's matchup-based. Yep. yep. All right, so there was one team that was a preseason top two team in college basketball, according to Stadium Insider Jeff Goodman. That is the Texas Longhorns. Uh, They lost today at Oklahoma State, an Oklahoma State team who really isn't playing for all that much. You can see Jeff uh, hiding over there. Um, What's wrong with Texas right now? Because it feels like, this is just a team where there's a lot of pieces that are good. There's no one that's great, and the pieces don't all really fit together perfectly. Well, it's, it's funny. When I was there in the preseason, that's kind of the one thing that I focus on, talking to these guys. Uh, and I was going to do a story then. Uh, I, I didn't. But all of them, the only guy who has won an NCAA tournament team, a uh, game on that team that, that, that plays is Christian Bishop. He's the only one. All these other guys come from losing programs. And I asked Timmy Allen that. And he's super mature. And he said, I get it. It's a valid question. We're all coming together. None of us have really won a whole lot. Can we figure it out and win together? See, I think they're actually, if you watch them, I don't think they're playing selfish. I don't. I just don't think they're quite as good as what I thought they were. I thought Dylan DeSue was going to be further along which he's not because he's been hurt. They didn't have Trey Mitchell today. Those are two guys they could have used at full strength today against a tough, like like T.O. was saying, a tough, tough Texas Tech team. So, you know, again, Marcus Carr's gotten better. He didn't have a good game today, but he's been very good the last couple games. So I still see this Texas team getting better throughout the season. They're not going to be the number two team in the country. I, I understand that right now but I wouldn't want to play them still in the NCAA tournament when, when they get in it. T.O., are you, you going gonna to handle this? You want me to handle this? I'll let you handle it because you take so much joy in it. Yeah, right. who, who did Texas play tonight, Goodman? Oh, what did I say? <laughs> Not Oklahoma State. <laughs> what, what did I say? You said Texas Tech. You said Texas Tech. Uh, All right, T.O. My bad. My bad. T.O., so the, let me ask you this. How, how much have your preseason expectations changed with this Texas group? Because I specifically remember – talking with you after they went to Gonzaga and kind of got beat up on a little bit when, when we were both kind of saying, look, it's going to take time yeah. for them to come together and for them to jail. There's a lot of new faces there. So have your preseason expectations changed? Do you think there's still 
a ceiling with this group, what we thought I, there was before. I think the ceiling has been recognized because they're not very athletic. And what is Oklahoma State? <laughs> very athletic. I mean, you're looking at a group, you know, CSA, Williams, Anderson, Tom, like that's an athletic bunch. And they got screwed with the NCAA by, uh, ruling. That sure. could have been a tournament tournament per, tournament team. But I, sure. I don't want to jump ship, ship on Texas. Are they a Final Four team? Probably not. Are they a tournament team? Yeah. I mean, guys, they're two and one in conference. And I, it was almost a good segue of what I just said. Sometimes style makes the fight. Oklahoma State, super athletic. Texas, not super athletic. Oklahoma State can cover a lot of ground really quick. And whenever they don't have outstanding athletes and really a go-to score, who's Texas's really go-to score? Have they're balanced. Yeah. They don't have a go-to score, and they're not overly athletic. That's two pretty significant problems, especially when you head into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, if they're able to make it that far. So I, I think and this may – be crazy you may call me an idiot which you're going to say regardless good i know no matter what i say right i here, enjoy but saying it so yes texas reminds me a little bit of villanova in the sense that i don't know if they necessarily have a star right they have a lot of guys on that roster that are going to be great kind of second fiddles going to be great kind of complementary pieces guys that you want maybe playing off of the dude that guy and i don't know if texas necessarily has that guy now maybe it could be marcus carr maybe trey mitchell once he gets it going maybe it's him maybe it's maybe it's dylan Deesu. i don't i don't know but right now they don't have that guy they have a bunch of like complimentary pieces and and i think that that's going to end up being a problem for them when they get in a situation going to, against a team like oklahoma state it's going to play hard and play tough and, and try to force turnovers yeah except they, they've all come from poor cultures yeah so exactly your, your, your villanova comparison I, I i agree they may not have a star um but they're trying to gel. Villanova, what does Jay Wright do? They, they, they come up in that program, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And then if you're Colin Gillespie and, and uh, Jermaine Samuels, you're, you're fifth-year seniors. So they build it from within. Chris Beard, all these guys are new to him. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them is brand new, whether it's a transfer he brought. And they're all brand new to each other for the most part, other than Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, and Brock Cunningham. So I, I think – Again, it's hard to judge this team, but what I will say, and listen, they haven't beaten anybody yet. They literally do not have a quality win on their resume yet. They beat West Virginia without two of their key players, but they haven't beaten anybody yet. So at some point, they're going to have to actually beat somebody to, to be in the NCAA tournament conversation. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. This is the field of 68 after dark. My name is Rob Doster. There's other two voices that you hear are uh, the, the smart voices, Terrence Oglesby. Uh, Clemson's sharpshooter and the second best shooter on this here show. And the, Behind uh, Goodman. the, the, the voice right. that you're going to disagree with is Jeff Goodman, who, according to him, could throw a football 70 yards when he was in college. 65, uh, 65. I didn't say 70. Yes. I said no, you said you said 70. 70. It's a direct nope. quote. I, I have it. I have it recorded in the interview that we did earlier. It's on, it's on my laptop. Don't don't call me a liar. I'll, I'll, I I'm going to call you a liar. I want to I want to <laughs> hear the, the recording. It's uh, so anyway. Uh, moving on it was a while you know how night. far 70 yards is i know i told them i'll get my college roommate on we'll get my college roommate on so hey, so it turns hey, out, turns out it wasn't 70 yards it was 65 yards it well, wasn't we didn't 70, know we didn't okay? know this prior to Check my your meeting sources. goodman prior to my meeting goodman i didn't realize he has a higher vertical than robbie hummel he could throw a football over them mountains <laughs> and he's might as well be michael vick and we didn't and even know I can, about I can uh i don't know what else i can do. i can eat four ice cream sandwiches in a day 
I did that yesterday. <laughs> hey, hey, T.O., I'll tell you this much, man. Jeff Goodman would have been a superstar. He just couldn't get on the team in high school because of the coach's politics, right? That's what it was. The coach didn't like him. Uh, that's that was, exactly that, that was, was the problem. Uh, anyway, it was a wild night in the SEC tonight. Um, we have to talk about Kentucky. We were joined by Oscar Shibway. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit with Auburn, and we have to talk about Goodman's horrific SEC power rankings. But first and foremost, biggest story of the night, T.O., Alabama gave up 92 points to a Missouri team that entered today ranked 210th in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency metric. If you can't stop Missouri, you can't stop Jeff Goodman. And they got out-rebounded, I'm assuming, on the offensive glass pretty heavily. you got to be able to guard, guys. And whenever you're going to play as many guards as you do and you're trying to be switchable and bring the ball up quick and all this stuff, you got to be able to get some kind of stops. You're going to have to score 120. And, you know, what's crazy is their percentages were great. Missouri hits, gets 16 offensive rebounds. Kobe Brown had 30 and 13. Now, I will say this. What they usually have, and when I say they, it's Alabama, they usually have these rangy big guys that don't really deal with bigger bruiser-type bodies as normal. And Kobe Brown is that. So maybe they had problems with that. But I, I just – you got to be able to guard. And the problem with that, if they're not able to get some stops, they're not able to get out and run and create shots for, for each other. And that's where they're really good. Yeah, uh, yeah Jeff, Alabama's, gotta... defense. Alabama's defense. That, that's the biggest thing for me. That's the takeaway is, is they were so good last year, kind of out of nowhere, right? Like, Nato, it's inherited that team from Avery Johnson. They were horrific defensively when he inherited them. I remember seeing them at URI, and it, they were so bad. Um and then he found a way, right? Herb Jones was always a great defender, but he found a way to get like John Petty to take pride in his defense. And part of it was, hey, all right, John Petty, you know what? If you guard, you can take any damn shot you want. Any shot you want. It's easy to do, right? Like, Tio, isn't that part of the deal? Like, if somebody tells you, you can take, now you did it anyway, and you didn't even guard. <laughs> I was about to say, you, can still, you gotta be, you gotta be capable. Exactly. Be capable. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but like, seriously, that's part of how NATO's got it done. And then he loses these key guys from last year that finally learned and understood how to take pride in their defense. And it's almost starting from scratch for the most part right now. And it's a new group. And, and right now they are not guarding. I mean, when you give up. Um, well, I'll tell you, Jeff, here's, here's the biggest difference from last season. Last year, There were times when Jaden Shackelford would be the smallest guy on the floor, and he's, what, like 6'4", 200 pounds, right? Because they'd roll John Petty out there. They'd have Josh Primo out there. You'd have Herb Jones at the four who could guard literally anybody while also kind of playing the point. Uh, This year, they're rolling a team out there where J.D. Davidson is is not the biggest guy. He's athletic, but he's not very big. Uh, Javon Quinterly is is not very big and is not exactly known for his defense. So Jaden Shackelford's playing the three now, whereas last year he was able – you were able to hide him on whoever the worst the team's worst defense uh, worst offensive player was, so that right there is the difference. They don't have the size on the perimeter. They don't have the defensive players on the perimeter. They're not anywhere near as switchable. You don't have the veterans up front either. It, it's just, I mean, Missouri shot forty nine percent against them. Yeah, Missouri, Missouri, Missouri's not good. Like that's the problem with this. Like that that right there to me is is it, it, it epitomizes what's going on with this Alabama team. And look, they're going to win some games because they can get out and run and they can shoot, and there is talent on that roster. When J.D. Davison is right, when Javon Quinlan is rolling, and Jaden Shackelford is, is making shots, like that team can score with anybody. We saw it against Gonzaga. The and problem also, is – Sorry. Go ahead. 
No, you also have you. to you also have to think about the matchups that Herb Jones forced. Like, and mm-hmm. he was that special because whenever whenever they moved him to the one January second of last year, guys, Alabama wasn't ranked. They moved Herb Jones to the point. Other pos- opposing teams are fixing who they're putting in the game in order to match up personnel wise with Herb Jones. So what happens? They don't have their best offensive unit on the floor because they're too worried about gardening. This year, they don't really have that guy. Javon Quinterly, the ball's in his hands a lot more. He's been fine, but at the same time, Herb Jones has gone to the NBA and he's become one of the best defenders in the NBA. Like he was that kind of special. So I think that that accounts maybe not for all of it, but I'd say about 70% not having that one guy that's five-way switchable and produces mismatches on offense. So it tinkers with rotations for the opposing team. And I think that's significant too. There, there was a toughness element there too. Yeah. Like Herb, Herb Jones, you know how people talk about like country strong, like Herb Jones was like country strong, t- country tough. Goodman, you remember when we had him on and all he talked about was how he, he loves just going and sitting out and going bass fishing. Like, T.O., you and Herb Jones would be very, very good friends. By the way, uh, Goodman, I don't know if you know this. Uh, T.O.'s from Tennessee, by the way, just so you know. Just, I, just an FYI. I think it was somewhere down there. I didn't know. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Tennessee, we're going to go to the state that is just to the north of it. Uh, Kentucky seems like they're starting to figure this thing out a little bit. Uh, they they beat up on a Georgia team that wasn't very good tonight. And, and there are still questions that we have about what they're going to be defensively. But playing without Severe Wheeler, Goodman's boy, Ty Ty Washington, 17 oh. points, 17 assists. Big Sheeb, Oscar Sheebway, 29 points. He had an off night on the glass. He only finished with 17 rebounds. We're going to catch up with him in a minute. But Goodman, I want to go to you first on this one. Is Has Kentucky kind of figured this thing out? Are they trending in the right direction? I mean, listen, let, let's put it in perspective here. It's, it's, it's like playing uh, the three of us, Fanna, and, and throw him one more uh, slapdick uh, in there when you play. Hey, four. what position is Fanta playing, just out of curiosity? Fanta's an undersized four. I like That's that. Cool. I like that. I like He's that. an undersized four. He's a banger. I mean, he'll get after it. You, you, I mean, can you picture Pen in there, like, like elbowing, you know, like that? That'd be Fanta. But like, okay, they beat Georgia. Let, let's let's. But Ty Ty needed a game like this desperately, and I think the hardest part, in a way, it was good playing with Severe Wheeler because he didn't have to do too much early. But in a way, it holds Ty Ty back because the one thing that really impressed me the most when I saw him was his court vision, his passing ability, and obviously you have to have the ball in Severe Wheeler's hands when he's on the court because. He's a veteran who can really move the ball, push the ball, find guys. And he can't shoot. What's he going to do without the ball in his hands? Exactly. <laughs> he have to have him on the court, he's got to have the ball in his hands, like Rondo to some extent. Ty Ty needs the ball in his hands too. So they got to figure that out. That That's the biggest question with Kentucky moving forward is those two guys figuring out how to, how to play off one another um, because they really haven't done that great so far this year. Do you think, T.O., at the end of the day, that this team might be better if you can just kind of turn it, turn, turn the keys over to Ty Ty Washington and maybe play Davion Mintz a little more, maybe try to sneak some minutes with uh, with Jacob Toppin, like sliding in at the three, maybe trying to get Dante Allen, who could shoot it a little bit more time. I think I love what Severe Wheeler can do, and I think he's had a terrific, terrific season. But I also think that we saw with Notre Dame, having him, having that point guard that you don't have to guard that you don't have to go over ball screens against that you can play 12 feet off of and not have to worry about that kind of limits you and makes you a little bit matchup dependent. 
Yeah, and to go back to what you said, Severe Wheeler needs the ball in his hands. And apparently Ty Ty Washington does too. And I, I think one of the best things about Ty Ty, and obviously he didn't do it today because he had 17 assists, but his ability to get rid of it and then get it back, it allows so much more flow and movement and guys to get comfortable. I remember when I would play the two, when I would play the two in Europe, if they gave the ball up first, it seemed like the guys really got in rhythm better as opposed to, hey, we're going to slow it down. We're just going to set a ball screen real quick, which is what they've been doing with Severe Wheeler. Let's not kid ourselves. But the ball is popping a little bit. And when you have one of the best role finishers in the country, an Oscar Toshibwe, who is, I mean, a beast, simply put, like obviously you're going to get a lot of assists that way. But for him to be – let's be let's, – let's just call it what it is, too. Georgia's probably the worst team in the power, power six. And I, I don't – think it's really close and I don't like to be negative you guys know that but they're just not very good so Ty Ty's able to get wherever he wants they're over helping he's pitching Toshiboy has a dunk I think this game could be taken out of context a little bit but 17 assists is 17 assists regardless yeah and and the biggest thing is that they're starting to find a rhythm a little bit they've won five out of their last six uh, and the only game that they lost was a one possession game at LSU when Ty Ty was banged up and Severe Wheeler played all of four minutes you didn't have a chance to prep without him uh, there's all kind of caveats that you can put there. A loss is a loss, but I, it, it's a semi-understandable one. Uh, I teased it a little bit earlier. We caught up with uh, with Oscar Shibwe, who talked through a little bit about his rebounding technique, uh, whether or not he actually wants a chance to go up against Kofi Coburn, which is what apparently Jeff Goodman really wants to see. Uh, so we caught up with the big fella earlier on tonight. And now let me welcome on to the field of 68 after dark, Oscar Shibwe coming off of a 92-77 win over Georgia. Oscar, what's going on, man? Thanks for being here. I'm pretty good. Like, uh, um, I'm glad we got that win, so I'm happy. So you, you finished with 29 points and, uh, and 17 rebounds tonight, which, you know, 17 rebounds is a little bit of an off night for you. What, what, what's going on? We expect 20-plus from you every night in Rupp Arena now. <laughs> I came out trying to get 20-something, but it was a fist fight. We were fighting out there. I know the coach told him, I said, Oscar, we bonded. So they backed me out a little bit. Uh, they forget a little bit I can score it too. So I was doing both tonight. So I'm glad I finished with what I did tonight. Well, you, you did your part, and Ty Ty did his part with severe wheeler out with the injury. Uh, Ty Ty, 17 points, 17 assists, which – is a single-game Kentucky record. You know, I told everybody in the preseason, I, I thought Ty Ty was going to have a special type of year. He hasn't come out of the gates quite as well as people thought. What do you think this game will do for his confidence? This game is to elevate his confidence. Ty uh, Ty, I knew it's going to be a problem since the day one in the practice. So he's just building up his confidence. This kid is going to be different by the end of the season. That way people expect him, that way people see him now. I just say let's wait until we get to the end because it's going to be absolutely this. He's building up his confidence and uh, he just start playing. He's playing for like his basketball. He just goes up every, every game. He's his basketball, he keeps going up. So I'm glad I'm, what I'm seeing from him. He's not the only one that's kind of going up every single game. You guys have now won five of your last six. The only loss in that stretch was a one possession loss at LSU, who turns out is pretty good. So does it it feels like to us you guys are really kind of hitting your stride here. Do you guys feel that same thing? I think 
think we feel the same thing. Uh, one thing we talk about, coach, we were struggling. Like uh, when we play close game, when we get we got four five minutes left, we start like we good. I think we good to finish, but we struggle a little bit. We put in a lot of pressure on ourselves. We play not to lose. Coach said, play to win again. Forget about losing. Just fight. Finish again. So I think like we be practicing how we gotta finish again. And I think the game like that now is time now to go out there. Four, five minutes left. We got to finish. We got to keep fighting and finish again. So I remember when we talked before the season and, and I asked you about leading the country and, and rebounding. And you said, listen, my goal is to get every single rebound. Well, you had 17 tonight. Ty Ty had five. Three other guys, uh, Keon, Kellen, and, and Jacob had two apiece. I want to know. Do your teammates ever get mad at you for, for grabbing every rebound? Because they like they can't get a ton of rebounds because you get all the damn rebounds. It's crazy. Um, they got mad at me sometimes. One one day, uh, Keon had 90 rebounds, and we went up. He needed to get a 10. So we went up and just grabbed like, his rebound from his hands. So that day, I got 22. And he said, man. Come on, man. I got 10. So they get, we back in the last room, everybody get on me. Oh, come on, man. That's selfish, man. That's selfish. I said, man, that's not selfish, man. If it's anything to help this team out, do it, man. It's not about you doing good. It's about me doing good. It's about helping my team. They get mad, but like, uh, I just fight. Rebound, it is different. It needed more effort. It needed more, like, because when you go for rebound, it's no more bigs. Well, a lot of bigs, they start at the beginning with, with a lot of energy, but they don't know how to keep up with the energy. So I keep up with my energy. I stay going to the rim every single time somebody shoots the ball. And that's how I get rebound, and that's how I help my team. And you got to position yourself in a place where you're going to get the ball. Most, a lot of people, what I, like, I acknowledge from people is when somebody shoots, everybody, people look at ball and go, no, you have to go position yourself with the position, with the place where you might get the ball. And uh, don't let anybody move you from there. That's what I do most of the time. And, um, and you're going to end up by doing good, get a lot of rebounds. That's why it's so hard for people to back me out because the thing that I do, it needs a lot of effort to take another step and take a two step to get there. So most of the big, they just look at ball and they just trying to follow where the ball is going. That's not how you can do that. That's why I'm always doing good. Get a lot of rebounds. So I think as as a nation, we all kind of have accepted the fact that the two best big guys in college basketball, two most physical big guys in college basketball, are you and Kofi Coburn. We all want to see that matchup. Do you want a chance to go up as Co- uh, against Kofi as bad as we want to see that happen? <laughs> I would pay to see that, like, to try to play Kofi, like, uh, it would be good. I played Kofi in high school. Uh, it was a good matchup. It's going to be a good matchup because uh, it's going to be, like, he's going to be, like, whistling out. It's going to be fight. He's a great player. I respect him a lot, and I'm proud of see what he's doing. Um, I just, uh, for me, I'm a fighter. I don't quit. I don't stop in the middle. If you can knock me out, you got to knock me out. Don't stand up. Then the fight is over. For me, I got to fight until the end. Big Sheed is the best. Uh, He's he's an interesting dude. Uh, He's a monster in the paint. And we're going to find a way to make that Illinois-Kentucky matchup happen somehow, some way, if we have to build our own event. Maybe we'll go uh, rent out a community college gym 
in Salt Lake City, Goodman. Maybe that's what we have to imagine. Do. I want imagine like a UFC fight between those two, though. Like they're too. I think they're too nice. That's the only thing. Like yeah. Big Sheep is like. I'm telling you, I would like to have a weekly segment with Big Sheep on here every single week. He's always smiling when he's off the court and on the court. He smiles too, but he is an absolute just killer. Like the way he goes after every board, it's awesome to watch. Yeah. All right. So that wasn't the the only crazy game in the SEC uh, tonight. Auburn held off Florida. Uh, I still think Auburn is the best team in the SEC. I think you guys both agree with me. But the the one that we really need to take note of is LSU knocking off Tennessee. Um, Rick Barnes got a little bit heated in the post game at one of his players. To we're going to go to you on that in a second. But first, Goodman, uh, the big question mark is the health of Xavier Pinson. He had that nasty fall. It looked like uh, a really bad knee injury that he suffered. I think you have some information on that. So what do you got? Yeah, he was down. It was late in the game. And he he was down for a long period of time. Dagan, mute the audio. All right. We're back with the update on, on Xavier Pinson, uh, LSU's point guard, transferred from Missouri, and, and he, he went down late in the game uh, with, with an apparent serious knee injury. I mean, if, if you watched it, you thought, season over at this point and it would have been absolutely devastating for an LSU team that had already lost Adam Miller there are other big time transfer before the season my sources have told me uh, early indications are it's not that serious in fact it might just be a sprain so that's huge news for an LSU team that now you could make a case one of the top two or three teams in the SEC. I mean, this is a big win against Tennessee. I know they got fortunate against Kentucky, you know, to, to play him without Wheeler for the most part. Ty Ty wasn't himself. Oscar was in, in foul trouble early. But ultimately, this LSU team is really good defensively, and they need pins. Yeah, they do. Uh, T.O., what do you make of Rick Barnes' comments about John Fulkerson from the, the post game? Are you concerned about that? I mean, Fulkerson's been one of their best players this season. Yeah, he has been. And and I think Fulkerson got sick. And I, from what I hear, it got him pretty good. So I, you wonder how long it takes him to get back. Obviously, context is important when guys are playing a certain way, especially in right now's times. It's tough. But at the same time, you can attack your seniors at times because one you know he's not going anywhere he's not going to jump ship I mean Fulkerson is Mr. Tennessee so it could be something just to light a fire under his light a fire fire under his tail and you know and he hasn't rebounded to his capabilities and he needs to be more physical guys obviously he's a guy he, he gets thrown around like a rag doll but he's always in the mix hasn't necessarily been in the mix the last couple of games since returning from a from a COVID from yeah. COVID and sitting out so I mean him returning because he's the best bailout guy in college basketball because of the style in which Tennessee plays, they need him. They need him in order to be good. And for Barnes to say, Hey, this, we need him to show up or get out of the way could be taken as a little harsh, but you got to know your audience too. And Fulkerson's not going to jump ship. Yeah. I I think dudes like Fulkerson are wired to be able to hear something like that and, and respond in the right direction. If he's the kind of guy that can, can throw a chicken tender at a coach on a bus and and get away with it and hide it. And if anyone discovered it was him, then I think that he's uh, Goodman doesn't know that story. Goodman don't, don't worry about it. Pay attention. No, but I I think your point is well taken that I think Barnes and, and Fulke know each other well enough. Yeah. 
to where they can do this. You're not doing it to some, you know, if he did it to Kennedy Chandler, there'd be a problem. I'd, I'd be worried. I'd absolutely be worried that Kennedy Chandler would say, Hey, you know what? F this I'm out of here. Folky's not going to do that. He's built on toughness. He's a, he's a veteran. I, I think Rick Barnes probably knows what buttons to push to get Folky back. Yeah. Yep. Do you? I, can I ask you real quick about Xavier Pence? He's the only guy that's really a true lead guard on LSU's team. I mean, they've got a couple other guys that can bring it up, but we've talked about it, guys. Like, there's a difference between being a point guard and a guy that initiates offense. He's really the only guy. Is there going to be a significant amount of time that he's going to miss a game or two? Where did where does LSU go from there? They're going to have more tests tomorrow. Okay. So to see how bad it is, but again, early indications were that it's not, uh, not anything torn. Mm. And if that's the case, at least if it's a sprain, you might be talking, you know, shoot, you know, if it's, you know, how that, some, the big thing with guys, him, the big thing with him now is like, get back and be healthy and ready to go for March. If he's out for three weeks, then you're going to have a little bit of time to kind of get it going. So you're back in shape and back in the rhythm. Be back next game. March. I mean, yeah. some guys just react and get freaked out. Yeah. On, on the, you know, they might have heard something, think something hey, popped. Look, or, I got or freaked out by that one. Okay. Like that one, I think, I think I speak for every single person that watched that. That, that yeah, I got freaked out by it. Hey, yeah, some guys, out. some guys freak out when they get stung by a bee. Some guys <laughs> freak <laughs> out whenever they hit the floor with a knee injury. Very true. <laughs> like Very you got to keep in contact. You got to remember some guys, who you're talking to. And some guys, <laughs> leave their buddies for dead after they thought they got <laughs> no no look no look sometimes i i look i know i know your scouting report goodman and i know <laughs> that i know that if you get bitten by a mosquito you're done for two weeks i look i just know what it is it is what it is so uh anyway I, go now i'm gonna give you I, I i'm running this show i'm gonna give you 30 seconds take your victory lap arkansas lost at texas a&m today despite being up by they were up by the really want to do this again no. Go, go ahead. You, you get 30 seconds to say whatever you want to Arkansas fans, and then we're moving on. Hey, Arkansas fans. It's okay. It's okay. You can say Goodman was right. It's, it's fine to be able to say it. Just say, hey, Jeff Goodman was right, and, and hopefully next year, again, Nick Smith's coming to town. You're going to be okay. Like, Nick Smith is an absolute stud. Um, Eric Muscle is a hell of a coach. I just don't think this team is that talented. And that's what I said three weeks ago. When, when Note is your best player, and he had like 30-plus today, and you still can't – I mean, you've, you've now lost to some crappy uh, teams in a row right now. I mean, you know, Arkansas to me, they're, they're going to be fortunate to get in the NIT this year. Wow. That's, uh, wow. That, that's harsh. Um, moving on. Well, we're wrapping up the field of 68 after dark here. I'm Rob Dawson with Terrence Oglesby and Jeff Goodman. We are, got about five minutes here. I want to talk about UConn Seton Hall because that was one of the most entertaining games that I have seen this season. Tough physical throwback. Big East basketball went to overtime. Unfortunately, my Huskies could not pull it out in the end. But Seton Hall, you got to give them credit. Kadari Richmond had 27 points. Unstoppable in the second half. Bryce Aiken finished with 22. Seven dimes. Made huge plays down the stretch. T.O., you are a noted hashtag Big East guy. What is your takeaway from that performance? If nepotism didn't exist, Kadari Richmond be starting at Syracuse right now. Like, let's call it what it is. Like, that guy, he's talented. I'm happy he finally got going. He's not a big outside shooter. But, man, whenever he gets in there and puts his body on guys, he's got size to finish over top. It looks like it hurts to play in the Big East. 
Like every cut is physical, every rebound, there's elbows everywhere. There's true size on the inside. And guys, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse saying it and saying it and saying it again. But Bryce Aiken is so much fun to watch. I mean, quick, can shoot the ball, crafty with the ball. I mean, two high-level teams, high-level teams. I want nine Big East teams in the NCAA tournament, Goodman. I don't want any. I don't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> we got toughness up here in the Northeast. And, no. uh, you know, the Big East is what it is, and it, it's much better than anybody thought this year. The Seton Hall perimeter trio, I, I wouldn't want to play them. I mean, again, and they're, they're still not back. They're, they're not all the way back from missing Samuel and uh, Big Ike. Um, so I, I think ultimately you look at Richmond as a guy that if he can bring it every single day, and I talked to Kevin Willard about it last week when I saw him in Providence, and he said, listen, might not be the greatest practice guy ever, but like he does when the game's on the line, he plays hard. And you could see that today. And Roden's still not all the way back to, he missed some time. They had a long pause. This was a big win for Seton Hall. They needed this one because after losing a couple coming off that pause, they beat Butler to kind of get it back right. But this was one they needed. And UConn now, they're kind of further back than, than Seton Hall in terms of coming back from that pause. It just it takes a while. It does. It does. And, and I'm, I'm obviously joking about nine Big East teams in the tournament. But, I, but Jared Roden, even though he hasn't gotten back to what he was, still played 41 minutes and had a huge defensive possession at the end of the game. Yeah, huge defensive talk- possession. And he made some really, really tough shots in the second half. And to me, that was the biggest takeaway with Seton Hall, was that Willard kind of scrapped running stuff. Mm-hmm. And just kind of went like, okay, Kadari, you go. Okay, Bryce, you go. Okay, Jared, you go make a play. And he had three dudes that got it going in the second half. And to me, that was the biggest takeaway is that th- those guys won their individual battles one possession more than UConn was able to win individual battles. And and I, I, I hope I'm speaking to, like, UConn fans directly when I say this. Like, you got nothing to worry about. I, I feel better about UConn after watching that performance than I did – after watching any other game that they played this season, except for maybe Auburn, right? Because well, like you go back. You're, they got Snogo start- back. They went on the road in a tough environment against a, I'm going to say it, a top 15 to 20 team in college basketball in yep. Seton Hall on the road coming off of a COVID pause. They got punched in the face like four, five, six times in the second half, and they came back and they hit big shots. They were making their threes. They ran good stuff. They found a way to get Snogo touches. They found a way to get, uh, used his threat to create other offense. RJ Cole had it going, and it, they're they're going to be fine. Like I know that you're frustrated. I know that all the fans are frustrated. I'm frustrated with all of these close one possession losses. Like it's not fun losing close games. But they, I mean, look, they lost by three in overtime to Seton Hall. They lost by four to Providence. They lost by three at West Virginia, and they lost by four in what was essentially a one possession game against Michigan State. You want to go five through the possessions whole thing? go a different way, like. And they're they're undefeated right now. We feel very very good about where this team. And is. they have two very spurtable spurtable. They have spurtability. Two guys coming off the bench. I think Tyler Pauly could be somebody for UConn. They could come in, help space the floor, be switchable on defense. I, when he's consistent, I think he's a better shooter than thirty percent. He just hasn't shot the oh, ball he, well this he, year. Yeah, he did not. Like he he went through a long stretch in December where the shot the, the balls just weren't going. And, and the issue, Tio, and I've said this over and over again. Score. They miss a wing score. They, they you saw it at the end of the game today, Tyrese Martin, like, you know, they're trying to put the ball in his hands to make a play off the bounce. They missed that. And obviously we know who that was, right. They didn't expect to lose book night maybe uh, after a year, but um, 
Listen, that's what they miss. Jordan yeah. Hawkins is going to be that guy next year, yep. not he, this year, needs, next he, year. He needs to spend he needs to spend an entire offseason in the weight room. Like the biggest issue he has, he's just not physical. Like he looks like a freshman out there, right? He like, does. You see the shot making ability, you know what he has, but like he just cannot get anywhere because he tries to drive by someone, gets a biggie shoulder right to his chest and he goes flying. It is it is what it is. He's a freshman for a reason. But anyway, listen, we're almost done here. We got about a minute left. So we have a new segment we're going to call Three Cheers. All right, T.O., I'm going to you first. Who is your cheers to? Hey, man, North Carolina had a hard time playing hard for some reason when they went up to Notre Dame. That wasn't the case today. My man, Armando Baycott. I'm going to go ahead and toast to that young man. Big time game today, 29 and 21. He's the guy who said, we need to figure it out. I would trade all the stats in the world to figure it out. He did it today. 29 points, 21 boards, nine offensive. He dominated Virginia. Cheers to that man. And cheers to Papa Baycott, who got him some more touches through his tweet. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Papa Baycott uh, went off on the ball not going inside yeah. enough uh, when Armando Baycott was doing well <laughs> after the loss at Notre Dame. And I think that some people are paying attention. Goodman, who's your cheers? Yeah, let your dad do it, right? Don't tweet yourself if you're a player. Go get one of your parents or your, your guardian or whoever to tweet out. All right, uh, my cheers with, with my blue moon here tonight because um, that's what I drink because I don't like really tough beer. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes, Jimmy Larinaga, hey. right? I got to do it. At this point, I got to do it, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the two-bit ACC. No more one-bit ACC, baby. We, we are going with the two-bit ACC, Miami Hurricanes, Charlie Moore. I don't know if your eyes were open or they weren't on that three-point play, but it doesn't matter. You just beat Duke and Cameron, and you guys are all old enough to have a blue moon. There you go. You shouldn't have said the beer brand. They're not paying us enough for you to be able to say the beer brand on this one. I don't uh, think they're just, I don't, for what it's worth, I don't think they're just old enough for a beer. They're old enough to rent a car. <laughs> all, of them all, have, so all, of them, all of them have mortgages at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm going to wrap it up. My cheers, T.O., you're, you're, you're a basketball guy. You used to coach. Let me ask you a question. Hmm. Nine straight wins. Is that a good thing in basketball? Sounds like a good, sounds like a good okay. thing. Okay. Uh, a 5-0 and start. In league play. Is that a good thing? That basketball? sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Okay. Sole possession of first place in your conference. Is that a good thing? I mean, that sounds, that sounds ideal. That sounds ideal. Okay. So my, my cheers goes to the Vassar Brewers, right? <laughs> Swept the weekend. They knocked off Clarkson at home in a thriller, 75-73 last night. Today, they knocked off the St. Lawrence Saints, baby, and they picked up the win 68-63, 92 on the season. Let's go Brewers.